1: Wednesday, December 13 edition of PFTPM. As promised, I've done one of these every week so far this season. Only four left, 15, 16, 17, 18. I'll continue to do them through the playoffs as well. Probably not Super Bowl week because we'll be in Las Vegas getting ready for the big game. But up until then, you can count on one of these a week. After that, we'll see how it goes. How are things going for Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots? We'll start there. Our good friend Tom Curran reported on Monday. Now, he didn't write it. He said it on the air somewhere. And I called him last night and we laughed a little bit about how the things you say might not be the same as the things you would write. But the things that you say can and will be used against you. And that's what happened. It got aggregated. It got re-aggregated. I wanted to make sure before I said anything about it, I talked to him. I don't want to aggravate him over aggregating what would have been a third time, or at least a second time, based upon the write-up at boston.com. So, bottom line is, and I need to pause for a second, because it's hot in here. I gotta put on the, uh, I got a little fan down here that helps keep me cool when it gets a little warm, because there's a boiler right under my office that heats half of the house, and when it's on, it can get a little toasty in here. So, got a little breeze, Hopefully won't be doing too much of the Albert Brooks flop sweat from broadcast news coming up over the course of the next 30 to 45 minutes. And as I say that, it probably will be longer. Anyway, it wouldn't be so long if I would just get to the point and quit babbling. Anyway, Curran reported that after the Patriots lost to the Colts in Germany week 10, team owner Robert Kraft decided to move on from coach Bill Belichick. And that meshes with what Curran believes. And as he and I talked about it, he said something that I kind of believed as a caveat to the idea that the decision that was made after the loss to the Colts will ultimately be implemented when the season ends. If they get hot, and they've already done the unexpected by beating the Pittsburgh Steelers in primetime, if they stay hot, if they beat the Chiefs on Sunday, If they keep winning, if they run the table, 7-10, oh, that's no good. That's not nearly good enough. But if you finish with five straight losses, who knows? Maybe that is good enough. Maybe that does get consideration for Bill Belichick to stick around. So let's see how it plays out. Let's see what happens over the course of the next four weeks. Let's see whether or not the Patriots, say, win three of the final four. They win three of the final four. Who knows what happens? Then, once we get to the end of the season, and I've been saying this for a while, it's one thing to know that he's going to be there or not be there. That's obviously the big decision. But after that comes the question of what form will this divorce take? Will it be a mutual party? Resignation? Retirement. Firing. Will Robert Kraft try to do something that would be regarded as appropriate and elegant? Will Bill Belichick not go along with that? Will Bill Belichick want to be free and clear so he can join another team without the burden of draft pick compensation? Because any draft pick given up by his new team to secure the ability to employ Bill Belichick is one less draft pick that Bill Belichick will have at his disposal to improve his new team. So, I think that is definitely to be determined. And frankly, to the extent that someone who's in a position to know what Robert Kraft is thinking told Tom Kern of NBC Sports Boston that the decision to move on was already made after week 10, if Bill Belichick doesn't appreciate that, he might not be inclined to play ball. He might just say, no, fire me. No, I'm not going to agree to some mechanism where I leave and you have dibs on me and you can pinch someone that wants to hire me for a second round pick or a first round pick or a first round pick plus more no I'm not doing that you want me out you fire me otherwise I'll be back tomorrow no days off getting ready for next year let's go so Belichick may prevent it from being the arm-in-arm triumphant moment where he graduates to the next phase of his life and then the Patriots end up getting a draft pick back Kraft will want that I think Kraft possibly would have considered firing him by now if he wasn't trying to engineer this in a way that gets the Patriots' compensation. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's just a strategic way to do business. Robert Kraft didn't get this successful by not doing business strategically. Bill Belichick didn't become as successful as he is by not doing business strategically. This is an area where it's going to be difficult for their two competing strategies to be aligned because Kraft will want something, and Belichick will want to go somewhere unfettered by any sort of obligation to compensate the Patriots. Now, who will be in the market for Bill Belichick? That continues to be a very real question. And of course, the more he wins to end the season, the more palatable his arrival might be to a new fan base. A new media core isn't going to be thrilled with having to deal with Johnny Grumbles, but the fans might get excited if Bill Belichick can close with a nice kick and beat the chiefs and play spoiler and make things interesting in the AFC, even though they're mathematically eliminated, they can create a little havoc down the stretch if they want to and boost the record and boost his standing. But what we've been doing collectively, I believe is focusing on just one universe of teams, the non-playoff teams, the dregs of the league, the teams that are desperate for a turnaround from non-playoff contender to playoff contender and i think the teams that would potentially be on the list potentially buccaneers i don't think bill belichick would be interested in the buccaneers because i don't think he's going to want to follow the tom brady path too many apples to apples comparisons if you go to tampa and fail to do what tom brady did there but the buccaneers will at least be interested i believe and then the question is beyond the buccaneers there's been some talk about the Panthers. That's not going to happen. They're already putting out the word that the Panthers want an offensive coach. And I can't see Bill Belichick and David Tepper, the owner of the team, getting along. But other teams are in this mix. The Chargers and the Commanders. Those are the three. But those are the teams that come from the world of the non-playoff teams. Think about this. There will be 14 playoff teams. There are 13 playoff spots to be determined. Once everyone's in, and we play the first weekend of games, six wildcard games, Saturday, Sunday, Monday night. Once it all ends, wildcard weekend, where do we stand? Where are we? Are there teams, is there at least one team, that is frustrated by the inability of its head coach to get past the wildcard round? Is there a team out there whose owner will say, we've got all the pieces. The thing that's holding us back is the coach. We need a better coach and Bill Belichick's available and we can give him what he needs to win because we've already got a playoff team. I'll extend that another weekend. There might be a team out there that loses in the divisional round. Let's say a team that hasn't been to the NFC championship game since 1995 that feels like it has a great team. What if there's some sort of a boneheaded mistake made by head coach Mike McCarthy of the Dallas Cowboys that causes the Cowboys to not make it to the conference championship game. Now, look, on the surface, I think we'd all say, whoa, 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 whoa. There's no way Jerry Jones and Bill Belichick could coexist. Bill Belichick wants to run the show from a total organizational standpoint. Jerry Jones wants to be the one who builds the team. He doesn't want to bow to a Jimmy Johnson again, but what if, what if Belichick's okay with it? You know, Belichick was saying some pretty positive things about Jerry and Stephen Jones before the Patriots played the Cowboys earlier this year. Maybe the strategic thinker is laying the foundation for what he would regard as a perfect next chapter. Michael Parsons has already been compared to Lawrence Taylor. And Bill Belichick knows a thing or two about Lawrence Taylor. You got a quarterback there in Dak Prescott who's having a great year. You put him with Josh McDaniels. Maybe you can make it work. Maybe Belichick, who did in New England what Bill Parcells wasn't able to do. Parcells took a team to a Super Bowl in New England but didn't win at all. He could do it again. Bill Parcells didn't get the Cowboys to an NFC Championship game. Belichick could win a Super Bowl with the Cowboys. It's just an example. I don't know anything. I never know anything, but just... It's looking at where we are. It's understanding the way things work. We've seen this in the past. Coaches get fired after the wild card round. There have been coaches fired after the divisional round. And you've got Bill Belichick available. I'm just saying, let's not get caught up on focusing on the bad teams that need a major overhaul. The right landing spot for Bill Belichick could be a good team that is trying to be great and simply needs a great coach. To turn it around now here's what you're dealing with if you go that route you're dealing with the culture shock that we often see when a belichick assistant goes to a new team like matt patricia to detroit josh mcdaniels to las vegas josh mcdaniels to denver when you have an established culture in a locker room and it's a successful team are they going to submit to the patriot way taken to some other place that's going to be part of the challenge but it's bill belichick hey you want to be great you want to win a super bowl you want to be contenders yeah it's one thing to be disrespected in the meeting rooms by one of belichick's lieutenants when belichick does it you just take it because everybody regards him as the greatest coach in the nfl so point is this let's not just look at the non-playoff teams Let's understand that the wild card round and maybe the divisional round will produce a team whose owner thinks to himself or herself, I got to get a better coach. I got to go get Bill Belichick. Speaking of the Cowboys, no matter how this season turns out, one development has been very favorable to Jerry Jones, and that is the resurrection of the career of Dak Prescott, who had kind of flattened out, plateaued, maybe regressed. The Cowboys are in a very difficult contractual position with Dak Prescott because they waited too long to sign him to his second contract. Remember, they didn't give him a new deal after his third NFL season when he was eligible for one. After his fourth NFL season, when he was due to become a free agent because he wasn't a first-round pick, they applied the franchise tag and they played it out a whole year with the franchise tag without a long-term deal. That was year he broke his ankle. The next year, after they applied the franchise tag a second time, that's when they negotiated a four-year contract. Not an extension, four years. And it was designed to force another contract after the third year because next year, the cap charge for Dak Prescott goes to $59.4 million. It's one of the reasons why they wanted to try to extend it this year. They want to get that cap number next year, into a better ballpark because as soon as this season ends, Michael Parsons is going to be banging on the door saying, pay me. C.D. Lamb is rocketing toward free agency. They got guys they need to pay. The less of a cap charge Dak Prescott has, the easier it is to pay these other guys. Well, before Dak Prescott has a great season, he still has the same leverage. That $59.4 million gives him the leverage to sit down and say, you want me to... to Reduce this $59.4 million, he'd make me the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. Now, fans and media might not be thrilled with that, but that's the leverage he has. And why not take advantage of it? Jerry Jones would do the same damn thing whenever he had business leverage like that against whoever he's dealing with. The fact that Dak's playing well makes it easier both for Dak to ask for it and for Jerry Jones to give it to him. And the average value of the contract is different from what the cap burden will be. They'll find a way to reduce the cap number. They'll find a way to sign Michael Parsons. They'll find a way to keep C.D. Lamb. And they'll find a way to keep Dak Prescott under contract without that $59.4 million cap charge for next year. So it becomes easier. It, it's cover for Jones to avoid the scrutiny that would be inevitable when people realize why did you give him a contract with that cap number in it in the first place? Why did you do this? Why did you put yourself in this position where you were going to be leveraged into making him the highest paid quarterback again to get out from under that huge cap number? Now, well, we're not doing it to get out from under the huge cap number. We're doing it because he's earned it. That's why Dak winning MVP would make it easier to do what the Cowboys are going to have to do. See, what they're going to have to do after this season is the same regardless of the kind of year Dak Prescott has if they want to keep him. And even if they don't, unless you trade him and there's no trade clause, you're still looking at a major dead money charge for 2024. So, bottom line, the better Dak plays this year, it doesn't earn him more money. It earns Jerry Jones more cover for the criticism that would have come if he just had an average middle-of-the-pack year and then he turned it into an average value. That would be the highest in nfl history so no matter what happens from this point out that's good news for the cowboys and it makes it easier to reconfigure their team and manage the salary cap for 2024 last thursday night tj watt suffered a concussion during the game against the patriots it became evident the next day when he showed up and reported concussion symptoms now The official word is he had no concussion symptoms the night before because obviously he would have been put in the protocol. We've been following the story very carefully because to anyone who's got basic common sense, something stinks here. And this is about protecting the players. This isn't about giving someone a strategic edge or not. Oh, you wanted the Steelers to lose. You didn't want TJ Watt to play. No, I want the NFL to to mean it when it says it's trying to protect players. And it feels too often that the process for... Evaluating a player who might have a concussion, it's a checklist aimed at getting the player back on the field, not a process that begins with the basic notion that these individuals are patients. We learned that last year with Tua tonga Bailoa. That's why there was concern about tonga Bailoa being cleared because it was a back injury. They did a whole investigation. He had a back injury when he was wobbling around after the week three win over the Buffalo Bills. And it all became more magnified because Four days later in Cincinnati, his head hits the turf. He goes into the fencing posture. He's taken off on a stretcher and he becomes the poster child of concussions in the NFL. Treat the players as patients. Don't treat the concussion evaluation system as a checklist aimed at allowing the players to, to be given the green light to go back onto the field. And it feels like that's what happened on Thursday night. How can it not? He got hit hard, to the face mask. They were checking inside of his mouth. They were checking his jaw. Eventually, they give him a tin advisor. After the game, he can't talk to Peter King, even though they had a meeting scheduled because he was having a migraine. At what point is it incumbent upon the doctors, specifically team doctor and the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant, who is far from perfect in this process? And even though you're unaffiliated, you're not truly independent. Because if the broader football mechanism wants its players on the field, at some level you feel pressure to not stand in the way of allowing players who fully accept the risk and always wanna go back in the game, with very rare exceptions. If you stand in the process of that, you may end up not being the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant for very long. It's not independent, it's unaffiliated. This process resulted in, by all appearances, No one regarding T.J. was a patient. He was regarded as a guy for whom a checklist gets filled out. We don't operate from the presumption he has a head injury and look for proof that he doesn't. We look for proof that he does, and we ignore the proof that suggests he might. The degree of impact, the damage that was done, they were checking the jaw, Whatever required the tin advisor, isn't that the reddest of red flags? Tin advisor, light sensitivity, concussion. And then you throw on top of it the NFL's just flat out refusal to give me any explanation whatsoever as to what transpired. Asked three times between Friday and Saturday and into Sunday. Nothing. Now, I guess some would say, well, they're doing this joint review with the NFL PA, so they can't say anything. They do that all the time. That's a standard process. They've answered these questions in the past, questions like this. They've come out and defended their process of evaluating a player for a concussion before concluding he didn't have one or determining they weren't going to evaluate a guy for a concussion who ended up having one. So hopefully in this process, the NFLPA will be aggressive. The NFLPA won't just go along to get along to have the right relationship with the NFL. This is the first test of Lloyd Howell, the new NFLPA executive director, as to how he will be when it comes to protecting players, even when you are protecting players at times from themselves. guaranteed. I had an idea this morning and I spend way too much time thinking about football. I think about it when I'm trying to fall asleep. I think about it when I'm shaving. I think about it whenever I have a moment to just kind of walk around the house. Like there's always something that's spinning in my brain. And this goes back to the Kadarius-Tony offside. And I want to make sure I sound this out properly because I Ran it by some of the PFT writers, and I, they, they, they poo-pooed it. They were very quick to dismiss. So I want to make sure I explained it the right way. Now, for anyone who has been asleep all week, key play, memorable play, potential game-winning touchdown in the Bills-Chiefs game was wiped out because Kadarius Toney, who caught a lateral from tight end Travis Kelsey and scored the touchdown, Tony was lined up offside before the play started. And the initial images we saw with the blue line, is kind of like, well, it looks kind of close. Well, then we saw that images without the blue line from the right end. He was clearly lined up farther toward the opposing end zone than he should have been. Clearly offside, no question about it. Photographs support it. Video supports it. He was offside. One of the complaints made by Andy Reid, the head coach of the Chiefs, was why didn't I get a warning? Well, we're going to warn you on the play where this guy's lined up that far offside. Well, the point is, if he's lining up offside throughout the game, at some point, you got to say something about it. You can't just wait until the final drive of the game, key moment, and we're going to throw the flag now. The guy's been lining up offside all game long. And I raise that point because Dan Orlosky of ESPN had a package of plays earlier this week that showed – Tony apparently lining up offside at earlier points in the game. And this gets the whole consistency of officiating. Like you're lining up offside, nobody's throwing a flag. You're lining up side and offside, nobody's throwing a flag. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, we're going to throw the flag. That's the kind of thing that makes people wonder what's going on here. Throw the flag the first time, not the last time. Throw the flag every time until the guy adjusts his behavior. I raise all this because... Now, I understand it's the obligation of the players to line up properly, and they have their eyes to guide them. Even though the the eyes of Kadarius Tony apparently failed him on Sunday, but I've been a strong advocate for years now of taking the current officiating function, which dates back to the first year of the NFL, with a bunch of people using the naked eye to discern what did or didn't happen, and again, ten yards of chain link that determined whether or not a first down was was secured, and a lot of low-tech stuff. They've gradually worked in more technology from the standpoint of video and different camera angles and different ways to see, whether it's through the modified Sky Judge approach or the full-blown replay review approach, what really did happen. But I think what they should do is just forget about the way games have been officiated, tear it all down, and rebuild it in light of all technologies available today. And here's an example of something they could do if they want to do it. You could create, and I don't know how this would work from a technical standpoint. That's not my area of expertise, but I have a feeling that you probably could come up with this without a whole lot of expense. The pieces are probably out there to design something like this. You know, it's been over 10 years that there was a group that was pushing the idea of a laser based first down line that you could actually see like the yellow line that you see when you're watching a game. So every player on the field would know where that green line is. I mean, you could do something like that for the line of scrimmage. Everyone would see the blue line. That is the line of scrimmage. You've got the down marker on one side of the field. You've got the corresponding down marker on the other side of the field they have an electric eye that lines up, the beam activates, and everyone sees where the line is. That's the easiest way to do it. There are other ways they could do it too. If you don't want to have a beam projected on the field, because people are freaked out all the lasers, it's a freaking laser. It's gonna, you know, it's gonna blind me or something. The thought I had earlier today was, and this is based on the electric fence we have in our yard that keeps our dog Macy from leaving the yard. The, the two down markers create a line and you have at the front of the shoe in an inobtrusive way, not pinching down onto the toes, but you have something in the front of the shoe at the very tip that as you approach that line, it, it starts to vibrate. And if you cross that line, it maybe makes a sound. I mean, There are ways to embrace technology, and I'm not saying I advocate either one, although I do kind of like the idea of the blue line. But, you know, we can either count on the naked eye and this process of looking to the official and saying, am I okay? And the official says, yeah, you're okay, or no, you need to move back. That's the low-tech way of doing it. There's a high-tech way of doing it that eliminates all doubt. And isn't that what we want? Do we want plays to be overturned? because of some technicality, because someone's foot was in the wrong spot by two or three inches. And the pushback I got from the PFT writers was, well, people need to know how to line up properly. Well, yeah, they do, but it's a lot easier if you see the blue line. Because apparently it's a skill that not everyone possesses, including Kadarius Toney. And you get in different spots in the field and there's different viewpoints. And you know, if they're ca- calling it loosely anyway, maybe you think you can cheat forward a little bit, just put a blue line across the field and put a yellow line across the field. Use that laser approach. That's an example of how you spend the money, embrace technology, and avoid situations like this. Because I, do, does anybody take any delight whatsoever in seeing a play get wiped out because a guy's foot was three or four inches farther than it should have been before the snap? We don't want the game being bogged down by that kind of bullshit. We want the game to be able to play out. So let's make it easier for everyone. Let's leave no doubt there's the blue line or your your, your shoe is going to emit a buzz if your foot is on the wrong side of the line. Anyway, my point is this. The league office needs to have within the management structure, people who are willing to advocate for things like this, people who are willing to think outside the box, people who are willing to present ideas and You need to have people who are willing to receive them and evaluate them and encourage more ideas like that. If the attitude is, we're fine, you're wasting your time. I don't think we're going to do that. You know, you understand what the corporate culture is. If you don't feel like those ideas are welcomed, what are you going to do? You're going to keep them to yourself. Or you're not even going to take the time to try to think of them. The most successful businesses have a workforce that is comprised of people who are always thinking of ways to make the product better. And management that welcomes any idea, however stupid it might be, because you want to encourage the use of the brain, the human brain, incredibly powerful and incredibly underutilized by the human animal. Encourage people to use their brains to come up with ideas that could make things better. That's why I spend so much time thinking about football. Now, do I? take some particular delight in pestering the NFL with these ideas? Yes, I do. Because if they're not going to do it themselves, somebody on the outside needs to be the one saying, hey, people, this is what you need to do for the good of the game. It's not an attack on the game. It's an attack on the stewards of the game. I've said that before. Why do you hate the NFL? I don't hate the NFL. I got a problem with the people who run the game right now, and I want them to do better. I want them to be better. I want them to make things better and not just count their money and delay the reckoning for the next commissioner or the next executive VP of football operations or the next whoever. I want them to tackle the tough problems now. Spend the money. Spend the time. Fight against the culture. Be creative and come up with ways to avoid the stuff that happened on Sunday. And I pause there because at some level, they like the fact that that's been a talking point for the last three days. That was one of the reasons I articulated when I explained late October, wrote something at PFT, the reasons why they're not going to make major changes to officiating. One of the reasons is they like the fact that we're talking about it. They like the controversy. They like the attention. This isn't the kind of attention they should like, but I submit to you, they like this kind of attention. All right. Let's see what other questions we have, or any questions. When I say what other questions we have, that implies that I've answered any. I have not. We're going to take a look at them right now. BFTP and Posse, how often do you know slash think that hit pieces on NFL coaches, players, et cetera, are instigated slash encouraged by and helped along by NFL owners slash team executives who want to make it easier to move on from someone, i.e. Sean McDermott and the 9-11 speech? I don't believe that the hit piece, if you can fairly characterize it as one from Tyler Dunn of GoLongTD.com was instigated by the Bills. I think it was the product, frankly, of long simmering tension between Dunn and the Bills. They refused to credential him. And as the saying goes, don't fight with someone who buys their ink by the truckload. You eventually piss a guy off enough. You disrespect him enough. You motivate him to start looking. And his... Reporting was extremely well sourced. It was 100% accurate as it relates to the 9 11 speech. And F around and find out is the message from Tyler Dunn and basically Tyler Dunn on behalf of all media to any teams out there that would decide to disrespect one specific media outlet. But I, I do think that there are occasions where a team that is thinking about moving on from a certain player put some stuff out there. A team that is thinking about moving on from a coach, put some stuff out there. It's not confined to sports. Probably happens in sports media. Probably happens everywhere. Anything that there is a media that covers that that thing, whatever it is, whatever sport it is, whatever business endeavor it is, entertainment, whatever, hit pieces are, I assume, motivated all the time by those who are looking for a way to justify severing ties with that individual. I think back to Deshaun Watson when he was originally with the Eagles. Remember there was an article that had this vague suggestion of gang ties and it just made Deshaun Jackson look bad. And then not long after that, the Eagles cut him. I don't think it was ever proven, but boy, it sure felt like that reporting was instigated by somebody from the Eagles, and at the time the head coach was Chip Kelly, who wanted to get rid of Deshaun Jackson and didn't want the blowback from moving on from a popular player. Make him unpopular and then move on from it. PFTP and policy continue to get around injury reporting requirements by paying a medical facility or have doctors treat players away from the facility. Why don't they and even funnel the money from one of their other businesses like paying endorsements via other biz to avoid the cap? If that would ever come to light, that would be a blatant violation of the rules and there would be hell to pay from the league. This question flows from the conversations that Chris Sims and I have had on PFT Live about the dynamic of, and we'll use Tom Brady as the example not even breathing a word to anyone within the Patriots organization of his malady and having it treated at TB12 by Alex Guerrero. Remember six, seven years ago, then Mrs. Brady was on with Charlie Rose, I think, and was saying that Tom has had concussions. He had concussions this season. There's no record of Tom Brady having a concussion. Keeps his mouth shut, keeps his head low and gets his treatment off the books away from the team facility. If the team's involved in that process, they got a problem. This is truly don't ask, don't tell. You're fine. Okay, you're fine. And I feel like Matthew Stafford is a guy who just doesn't do anything about his injuries other than than grit his teeth and keep going. But I think other guys may be actually getting active treatment at home or elsewhere. Team isn't asking. Players, It's players' business. And, you know – There is tension between hiding injuries and exposing injuries if you're a player, because if the injury is affecting your performance, you kind of want people to know why your performance is affected. I remember Dominique Rodgers-Cromartie when he was playing for the Chargers. There was a controversy over a hip fracture, pelvis fracture he had. The team was trying to downplay it, if not conceal it, if I recall correctly. There's a chance I'm wrong here, but I vaguely recall... There was tension between the Chargers and Rodgers Cromarty over his desire to let everyone know the reason his play was dipping was because he was injured. So there's layers and levels to it. And one of the most important layers and levels is the player keeping his mouth shut and dealing with it himself and the team just going about its business. Looking here for more questions. Trying to wrap this up at the same time. Don't want to go on for too long. Dr. J 144 Between Belichick and Greg Popovich, who has won nothing with the Spurs since his great players left, do we overrate great coaches? The Spurs are three and 19 with Wemby this year, by the way. What is the proper level of credit we should give these all-time great coaches? Well, it's a great question. What's Bill Belichick been without Tom Brady? What would he have ever been without Tom Brady? That's not saying Tom Brady's more important than Belichick, but the Patriot way, I wrote this several weeks ago, the Patriot way is dead and it never would have lived but for Tom Brady because Bill Belichick needed a quarterback who was number one, very good and number two, willing to take all the shit that Belichick gave him because if Belichick is all over Brady, it makes it easier to hold everyone else to the same level of accountability. And Brady took it because he was mentally beaten down by being the sixth round pick, 199th overall, constantly trying to prove himself. And there was always that distance, that frostiness in the relationship because Belichick wanted him to always be worried that one day Belichick would wake up and say, I got to move on to somebody else. And Brady was constantly worried that one day Bill Belichick would wake up and say, I got to move on to somebody else. So without that guy, without that great quarterback, what is Bill Belichick? Without Drew Brees, what is Sean Payton? Without Peyton Manning, what was Tony Dungeon? Now he did a great job in Tampa, but never got to a Super Bowl without Peyton Manning. Won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning, was consistently a high-end contender with Peyton Manning great coaches make a difference great quarterbacks excuse me make a difference for great coaches maybe the best coach of them all was Joe Gibbs he won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks I think that's the key if you're a guy who can win consistently and contend consistently with different quarterbacks you're getting it done and look no farther than Kyle Shanahan who possibly would have one or two Super Bowl championships by now if the quarterback position had been properly handled by him and by John Lynch and the rest of the organization. But they mishandled it. They should have waited for Kirk Cousins. They should have drafted Patrick Mahomes. There's a lot of stuff they should have done and stuff they shouldn't have done. They shouldn't have traded up to number three for Trey Lance. But they got lucky with Brock Purdy, and it's stabilized now. And look at how good they are. And Shanahan has been a very good coach with all these different quarterbacks. With quarterbacks with major flaws, he's still gotten the most out of them. So I think what happens is when there's a great team that wins multiple championships, a lot of the people involved get too much credit. They get overrated. Lynn Swan, look at Lynn Swan's career, even in the era he played, and he's got no business being in the Hall of Fame. But but he won four Super Bowls and Super Bowl 10, one of the great individual performances of all time and i don't know what the thought process was back then but i can't help but wonder whether or not those who were pushing to change the rules to loosen up the game and induce more passing more catches more excitement didn't point to super bowl 10 as exhibit a for why we need to change these rules and encourage more offense because look at what happens when you get a guy like lynn swan in a position to make those great catches Dr. J144, regarding the Patrick Mahomes outburst on Sunday, if we're putting him in the all-time great category, we should expect him to elevate no-name receivers to pro bowlers like Peyton or still score with bad receivers like Brady did, right? Once a quarterback is off a rookie contract, they need to take that step. Well, but the reality is it happened last year. They won the Super Bowl without Tyreek Hill. I just think that this is more about the complacency that sets in. The inability to go back to the valley of zero and zero, as Dennis Green called it, and dig out. When you've got everybody else as motivated as you are, if not more motivated, to win the championship because you just won one. That was always the thing that got Terry Bradshaw into kind of a depression after he would win a Super Bowl. What's next? You win a Super Bowl in the NFL, what's next? And this whole Joe Montana to Tom Brady thing has at least created this ideal for quarterbacks to stack up as many as possible. That's What's next? What's your favorite Super Bowl ring? The next one. Brady changed that a little bit. But what else do you have to do other than chase a legacy by winning more and more and more and more? Because there's no greater mountain to climb. It's the same mountain and you just climbed it. I think collectively it makes it hard for an organization to try to go back and do what it just did. It's a challenge to do what it just did. Daniel Kunimoto, is there a chance that Belichick is willing to retire from coaching? He's not worried that his legacy will be tarnished even more. I think he plans on continuing to coach. I think he wants to catch Don Shula. And I think one of the reasons he wants to catch Don Shula, beyond the fact that he's a great historian of the game and he wants to have that record, Peter King and I talked about this recently. One of the reasons Peter King hasn't spoken to Bill Belichick since 2007 is because Peter King dared to criticize Belichick for spy game. Belichick holds a grudge. Belichick's got that human pettiness that we all have to some degree or another. And Don Shula openly bashed Bill Belichick for spy game. I think Belichick wants to catch Don Shula. Dr. J144, why is the fact that Dak makes 40 times what Purdy does, why is that not relevant for value when it comes to who is the MVP? Well, the problem is nobody defines value, most valuable player. I don't think they mean best player dollar for dollar, best bargain, most bargain player in the NFL. That's not what they mean. Best player in the NFL? I mean, what's the difference between MVP and offensive player of the year? What's the difference between MVP and defensive player of the year? It's just a strange thing. It's always been that way. It's kind of you know it when you see it. It's a visceral thing, but it has nothing to do with performance over whatever the player's contract is. That has nothing to do with it. Brock Purdy doesn't become more valuable because he's in the second year of a slotted rookie minimum contract as being the last player in the draft. That has nothing to do with MVP.
0: Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference.
1: Bader, THFC, the Jets are reportedly sticking with Robert Sala for 2024. Is this the best plan for them to keep him? I haven't seen the report that they're sticking with him. I think it would be ludicrous if they got rid of him because the idea for next year is we're going to do what we were trying to do this year. Aaron Rodgers went on and on about the value of having a defensive head coach. Nathaniel Hackett is there, despite the fact that I don't know how good of a coach he is, frankly, but he's buddies with Rodgers and he's safe. If we want to get the most out of Aaron Rodgers in New York, we got to load the camp. Same cannonball that we had last year and hope this time it doesn't go straight to the ground on the fourth play from scrimmage. So don't make major changes. Aaron Rodgers is coming back. The sooner they tell the world that, the sooner the team knows that, the sooner the players know that, the greater authority a guy like Robert Sala is going to have in the locker room. I think it would be smart for Aaron Rodgers to make it clear he's coming back and then Woody Johnson, the owner of the team, to make it clear immediately after that. Joe Douglas, the GM, is coming back. Robert Sala, the head coach, is coming back. I mean, they need to make some changes. And one thing they need to do is no longer listen to Aaron Rodgers when it comes to personnel moves. I mean, give him a seat at the table, but understand, we're not going to do it just because you want to do it. They could be very good next year. Now, how healthy will Aaron Rodgers be? I don't know. He turned 40 recently. And once you've torn one Achilles tendon, there's a greater chance that the other one's going to go. Justin Prasuti, could Devontae Adams be traded in the offseason and could the Raiders receive a top 10 pick in return? Yes, I think he could be traded. I think he will be traded. They're not getting a top 10 pick for him. They're just not. Not at this stage of his career, given the contract, they're not getting a top 10 pick. Dr. J144, again, help me understand why Daniel Jones, one in five this year with five blowout losses at $40 million next year, is a better option than Tommy DeVito on a rookie contract for the Giants. Well, Daniel Jones' contract is fully guaranteed next year. Fully guaranteed. No one's trading for that. You're going to have to pay a big chunk of it to get him off your books. I think the best play is Daniel Jones number one, Tommy DeVito's number two, but the problem is it's become such a great story. Sims and I were talking about this today. The Giants fans are, coming, are becoming like the Jets fans when it comes to backup quarterbacks, where they excessively are smitten with the backup to the point where it undermines the starter. That's the challenge for next weekend, next year, excuse me, next year, not next weekend, next year, I was reading the next question. And I saw somebody make the comment, I'm getting ready for this weekend in response to the Bill Belichick gift, because in response to questions about his future, he said, I'm getting ready for Kansas city. Anyway, next year, if Daniel Jones falters at all, you're going to have plenty of those folks in New Jersey who want Tommy DeVito, to be the quarterback. It's going to make things interesting and not in a good way for the New York Giants. Justin Gerbier. Do you think the NFL will expand the playoffs by adding one more team from each conference in the near future? I'm still used to the top two teams having a playoff bye week. Well, I'm a believer that there should be two byes or no byes, but you can't go to 16 teams in the postseason when you have 32 teams in the league. You can't have half the teams make the playoffs. So they'd have to expand the league. And I said earlier this year, to Chris Sims. If I ever talk about expanding the league, punch me in the face because there aren't enough quarterbacks for an expanded league. There just aren't, but you know, the thing we're learning this year because the big fear is if the starting quarterbacks get injured, if too many of them are hurt, nobody's going to watch the games. They're not going to generate the big audiences. Well, this year a lot of quarterbacks are hurt and you know what's happening. People are still tuning in. So maybe with 34, I see, I've just invited a punch in the face from Chris Sims, but if the NFL is fine with, substandard quarterback play knock yourself out go to 34 go to 36 i think at a minimum you have to go to 34 to get to 16 teams in the playoffs but i i i feel like there's so much of an advantage for that team that gets the number one seed it's almost unfair and it puts too much value on emerging from this morass of 16 teams that are divided into four divisions and you've got different schedules and Sometimes your schedule is set up in a way where it's a lot easier to get the one seed. That's one of the reasons Peter King had the Jaguars as the top seed in the AFC. They have an easy schedule this year. It's easier for them to to rack up enough wins to be the one seed. And for a while, it looked like they might pull it off, but they've now lost two in a row. Andy Boyd, you always say a team will get hot around Thanksgiving and might surge toward the playoffs. Which team gets this accolade from you right now? It's got to be the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills are number six in our power rankings this week, even though they're seven and six. And Sims and I talked about this today. When you look at the teams behind the Bills, which one of them would be more deserving of being number six? There's no one. So the Bills are in a position to get hot, stay hot, carry it into the playoffs and not have that sense of pressure. Everyone expects us to win. We have everything to lose and nothing to gain. You flip it around. We got nothing to lose. We weren't supposed to be here. We bottomed out. How the hell did we end up in the playoffs? Let's go out and be loose and have some fun. That mentality can make a big difference for a team that otherwise could get tight and end up going one and out. Tom Marshall, a red zone of UK, who's been the bigger loss for the Eagles: Shane Steichen or Jonathan Gannon, probably Gannon, just because Nick Sirianni is an offensive guy and I mean Sean Desai's resume doesn't cry out future Bill Belichick so yeah even though I still have questions about how distracted Gannon was by knowing that he was going to interview for the Cardinals job the day after the Super Bowl and I think that all got brushed under the rug very conveniently because I think it undermined the integrity of Super Bowl 57 I think Gannon was doing a better job with that defense X's and O's than Desai was Tyler Hergert, would a rival league like what's going on with the PGA Tour and live, encourage the NFL to start to button up some of the problems they have, such as officiating? The NFL should get ahead of that before someone with near unlimited resources does it for them. I think the bigger concern for the NFL about officiating is Congress and litigation and possible prosecution because of legalized gambling. Before legalized gambling, if officiating issues result in people losing money, too bad. It's illegal. What are you going to do now that it's legal? There's a reason to care about. And it's no different than stocks. And at least with stocks, there's a way, if you do the right research and make the right judgments, over time you can win. Your investment will grow. There's no house involved in stocks that is in position, hoping you're going to lose, and rigging it just right to entice you to bet on a losing team set the line just in the right spot. There are people who think they have a system. Ultimately you don't ultimately you're going to, you're going to lose your luck may last a long time. And maybe you can find an edge if you have inside information, but the whole system is designed for the consumer by and large to lose. And that's with perfect information. So with all the different things that can happen with officiating and shenanigans that teams pull by hiding injuries. That's what the NFL needs to worry about. Some sort of governmental intervention in the overall regulation of the sport. I think the bigger concern when it comes to a rival league would be someone deciding to start a football league that would turn the clock back to 1980 or 1990 as it relates to the rules. And as the NFL gets safer and safer, if you would fully embrace old school football, and I think plenty of guys would sign up for it, and they have the right to do it. If you ever watched a UFC fight, you can't say, oh, we can't allow those football players to engage in brutal activities on a football field. The brutality that you see in a UFC match is, it's sickening at times. I quit watching it. I couldn't take it anymore. There was one night that a guy was cut, and it looked like the movie Carrie, you know, in Carrie, when they dumped the pig blood on uh, Sissy Spacek? That's what it was like. It was disgusting. I'm done. I'm done. Too brutal. So... You could have a much more violent version of football that there would be a percentage of the country that might flock to it. That's the bigger concern, I think, for the NFL. And all it takes is somebody with a lot of money and a willingness to spend it. Mike asks, what are the Saints' options with Derek Carr? (laughs) You're stuck. His contract for next year is fully guaranteed. One more, well, two more, Buffalo expat." Why would Belichick agree to a trade when he will literally have his pick of teams to coach? It's like an unrestricted free agent allowing his team to trade him instead of going on in the open market. It makes no sense. Well, the problem is he agreed to a contract last year that gives the Patriots his rights through 2024. Last year, he could have gone anywhere he wanted. That's kind of the most overlooked aspect of the reporting that came in two waves from NFL Network about Belichick's contract. His last contract expired. And he re-upped on a two-year deal for 2023 and 2024 with the Patriots. He could have gone anywhere else he wanted to go last year, and he chose not to. This time around, the Patriots justifiably want to try to leverage the remaining contractual rights into compensation. And if he wants to be a free agent, you know all he has to say? Hey, I'm coming back next year, and I'm going to finish my contract, and then I'm going to become a free agent. And this is why, to get back to the point I was making earlier, The conclusion of the relationship, you're going to have Robert Kraft strategically trying to position to get compensation. You're going to have Bill Belichick maybe strategically positioning to not have compensation involved so it doesn't drag down his next team. That may be where the two sides part ways. And there may be no way to finagle this if you're Robert Kraft in a way where you can get a draft pick for Bill Belichick if he just decides to dig in his heels. And why wouldn't he? I would. I would. Keep me around as the head coach or fire me. I'm not agreeing to anything that would allow you to make it harder for my next team to be competitive. Last question. Bold Paul 67, why do you dislike the Bengals so much? Folks, I used to say my default position is I hate all teams equally. And I like the Chris Collinsworth response when someone says to him, Why do you hate the Giants? Why do you hate the Packers? Why do you hate this team? He says, I just do. Directing fair criticism at a team, whether it's for the performance on the field, whether it's for the dysfunction or lack thereof of the front office, whether it's for the possibility that an injury was deliberately hidden. And Bengals fans can stomp their feet all they want, and they can point to the league's exoneration of the Bengals because the league has no incentive whatsoever to say, hey, everybody, the Bengals lied on the injury report. Go ahead and, and send us the civil complaint for fraud on behalf of a nationwide class action of everybody who bet on the Bengals that night, not knowing that Joe Burrow was actually injured. It has nothing to do with the Bengals. It has everything to do with the situation. You could change the Bengals for the Bears, the Bengals for the Seahawks, the Bengals for the Rams, the Bengals for the Vikings, the Bengals for the Steelers, the Bengals for any team in the league. And I'm not going to make excuses for them when the evidence is hiding in plain sight the way the evidence was here. Joe Burrow, traveling to Baltimore with a sleeve on his arm, down past the wrist and over the thumb. The Bengals captured video, the Bengals posted video, the Bengals deleted video. No one has ever explained that. No one's even tried. All Joe Burroughs said was, well, I wore that thing for a completely different condition. Well, okay, so you had some injury that was hidden. How do we know that if it was a thumb injury, say, that it wasn't somehow connected to the wrist injury made it more susceptible we don't know the bottom line is we're entitled as fans and anyone out there inclined to bet i don't bet but i'm concerned about the imperfections of the injury reporting system if someone's injured you can't hide it you got to put it out there and the circumstantial evidence leads to a reasonable conclusion that they're hiding something because they shot the video they posted the video and they deleted the video i would love to argue that case in court now that's where we may finally get to the truth here Because even though the NFL exonerated the Bengals, someone can still sue. And I've written about this, and I've talked about this. It is not a difficult lawsuit to make. A lawsuit filed on behalf of one specific individual who actually did bet on the Bengals to cover the spread in that game or win straight up on the money line, who says, I made my bet in reliance upon the representation based upon the Bengals injury report that Joe Burrow was fully healthy, and he wasn't. They negligently or intentionally misrepresented the true state of affairs. I relied upon it reasonably to my detriment. Oh, and by the way, I represent every other individual in the country who placed a legal wager on the Bengals that night. I I actually thought about pulling out the old lawyer hat and drafting the complaint so people would see what it would look like, would see the actual legal terms. I decided not to do it. But it wouldn't be that difficult to draft a complaint under West Virginia law. West Virginia's got legal gambling. The nationwide class action could start here. It could start anywhere where gambling is legalized, and it would be on behalf of everyone in the country that bet on the Bengals. So Paul, bold Paul, if I may, has nothing to do with the Bengals. The only reason the Bengals are the subject of this criticism is because the Bengals did enough to invite scrutiny as to whether or not they were hiding a Joe Burrow injury. And I know some of you also think that I hate the Bengals because I dared to suggest the possibility in 2020 that Joe Burrow would say to the Bengals, I'm not coming to play for your dysfunctional football team. Well, as explained in Playmakers, and this is 100% dead-on balls accurate. The quote in Playmakers, if Joe Burrow was from Athens, Georgia, and not Athens, Ohio, he would have said, I'm not playing for the Cincinnati Bengals. That... Is guaranteed now does it mean i hate the bengals no it's just the truth my truth and my duty and my loyalty is to the audience and i'm sorry if some of the things that i say reflect poorly on your favorite team doesn't mean i hate your favorite team just means we're trying to get to the truth we're trying to enhance the overall understanding of the game enjoyment of the game and everything associated with it so with that let's call it a day Appreciate some of your time, as always. Thursday morning, we'll be live with Chris Sims and me, and then the Joint Megapix podcast, which will show up in the PFTPM podcast feed. Again, we appreciate your time, and we'll do this again next Wednesday.